I'm Eve from The Next Movement. I'm Rob, also from The Next Movement podcast. Thanks to Luke for, from Fly Fidelity Podcast for inviting us to talk with AJ Swade and Angel. Yes, indeed. Glad to be here. First, First I say, what, what we're going to do. do. Then, then you, you say, say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do. do. I have an idea. You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is, is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. This week on the Fly Fidelity Podcast, a crossover episode with our friends over at The Next Movement, Robin E. Go into the making of Parvian Shots, the latest album from AJ Swade and Televangel with this very special deep dive interview. Enjoy the conversation. I was curious as to how you approached Parvian Shots in the beginning in the earliest stages, and what might have been some of those key shifts collaborating and decision-making that impacted the way you work together versus making the first album, Metatron's Cube. Were there any tracks recorded during the sessions for Metatron's Cube as a continuum of those sessions that set in any way a foundation of sorts? No, we started from scratch. Um, I think think, uh, Metatron's Cube was like the trial run and because we, we felt like it succeeded, we're like, okay, this worked, but I think we need to do something like a little bit different. We need to approach it a little bit differently. We didn't want to make the same record twice, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely not. It was like, we, uh, I think at that point, when we did Metatron's Cube, that was our first time working together in that capacity. Like we had stuff from before that was over the internet, like sending back and forth, but that was the first time we was able to link up and kind of get a feel for the type of, for what we respectively do best. And I think that by the time it was time to do the second project, I think we had a better understanding of all our strengths. So I think we just kind of leaned on it a lot more and naturally it gave us a different record, you know? Mm. Yeah. But it still, it still has, has our, signature all over it you know what i'm saying like it's definitely within the same realm of it but also that's why he was very big on it not being metatron's cube too because that you know it's easy at first to just be like all right this is just going to be the sequel but uh, we have, different name first, different sound we were going to do that yeah yeah, no, yeah, yeah definitely going to be a part two and then we're like right nah we don't need to do that because that kind of limits us a little bit um and it's also people have certain expectations i mean they're going to have certain expectations anyways but we don't really want to play into those expectations fully um, yeah, exactly. plus when you're doing metatron's cube we we kind of started that like i don't know 2018 19 yeah, 19? Like, 2000, like at the beginning of 2019 too like yeah. the winter 
but it wasn't on like the our any of our it wasn't like on either of our front burners but it yeah. we realized once once until like once we got in person with each other that's when we kind of figured it out like the process clicked and then we realized well we have to do the second one fully in person even though you wrote you wrote beats to it not like not in the studio of course so you had you came with yeah. raps prepared but we made like several songs on the spot and there like i don't like at least two three like from yeah, scratch, yeah like, definitely like i made the beats in the studio while you were writing to them yep but it was like yeah. that's the thing about it too because you know he'll, he'll send me beats that aren't the what the final product of the beat is so at the same exact time it's still even when i got the beats before going down to portland to write on them that was still like a, the skeleton of what it became you know so we we was able to work with all of that plus the joints that we made while i was there you know interview with endless crate in november of last year and in the introduction they offered the following description of your production his sound is well paced and spacious intricate and deeply textured he's made a career of sonic exploration and playing with sounds and textures to craft a world of sound that listeners can delve into and i would certainly agree with that as a listener suede i'm wondering what your perspective is on this as an artist working with televangel particularly because you of your approach as an MC. I think it's very unique. You are someone that often offers observations and critiques of the world around you and the culture you're part of. So in your mind, what role does Televangel play in telling these stories and how do the sounds he creates contribute to your narrative? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And also, uh, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate y'all, both y'all, Luke, E, Rob, but um, yeah. I guess that's a good description of his beats, but it's that and more. Cause it's like, I, I've been a 
fan of his music for a long time. Like even prior to us working, prior to me living in the Northwest. So if anything, this Ian, this might be like your third wind. You know what I'm saying? Like there was yeah. like the period, there was the period of like, you know, Hellraiser and Blue Sky Black Death and all of that. Then there was a whole other wave of stuff in Chicago, in uh, Seattle, like Nacho Picasso, Blue Sky Black Death and, you know, stuff with De Niro Farrar. So I, I, I've seen him make a wide variety of sounds. So I think that when it comes to the batch, the batches of beats that I get sent, it, it gives me a chance to do, I don't know, I go I go to him for, for a specific sound. He highlights, we, we kind of have a, a, a thing going where it's, it's a mix of, I said this before, I don't know if it's kind of dated. It's a mix of what people might've perceived as like cloud rap back in the day, but it's some hip hop shit that kind of belongs in the now. And that's like what we, I think we do because we were active in those eras and we're currently active now, you know? Does that sound about right? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's true. I think you you actually, I'm going to give credit to you because I think doing Metatron's Cube, like, gave me my, uh, like, third wind, as you put it, in uh, hip-hop because, I don't know. I was like, I, I was doing some rap stuff, but I, I wasn't, I was doing a lot of my own like electronic ambient stuff too and this kind of like put uh put the fire under me uh yeah just like the response to Metatron's Cube and I was like and, and I started just having way more fun making these beats and now I'm like I have no plans of even thinking about solo music for a while because I'm just yeah so credit credit to you and Metatron's Cube no nah, for sure bro that's that was definitely and you know, we we was just making music how we make music. We're prolific artists. It wasn't like we were making it with the intention of of whatever. Like we we're gonna make yeah. it regardless. We have fun making it, you know, chilling yeah. in Portland, yeah. eating, working on music, building shit from yeah. scratch. And then like yeah. just the the extra cherry on top of all of that was that it resonated with a lot of people. So it kind of just put us in the mode where we we kind of got a got a thing in our region, in our pocket because it's kind of an overlooked region and pocket when it comes down to it. But I would like to think that on in the larger scheme of uh, where, where we are in our little pocket of music, you're going to associate this thing that we got going with our pocket up in this corner, you know? And that, that even includes, like, the whole tree of people we collaborate with, like even Milk, to like, down in Portland and, you know, me in Seattle, even though, you know, I'm also East Coast as well. But yeah. So I heard you guys mention there was an idea initially or at some point about doing a Metatron's Cube 2. Uh, sounds like the feedback you got from the release was like reassuring. Did you, at what point did you like decide we need to do a, we need to do another record. We need to do another album. Oh, I think we already knew, right? Like we, it was never yeah, really, yeah. and we just, it was, I think, I think we had so much fun doing the, the first one that I was like, why wouldn't we do another one? Yeah, it was uh, almost instantly. Yeah. We were like, we're going to do another one, but when, you know, like we're going to space it out, but we're definitely going to do another one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At first we were like, oh, let's, let's release it on the, the anniversary of the first one. Then I realized like, Actually, January is not even a good time to release music. 
yeah, we don't need exactly. to put that pressure on ourselves. But yeah, no, it was, it, I don't even think we, we really needed to discuss it much. It was just like, oh yeah, let's, I'll send you beats for the next one. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of going to be the ritual. I'm just going to come down to Portland for like a, for a couple days in like October and November and we're just going to make music and I just, it's nothing, you know what I'm saying? It's like at, at the rate, as, as productive as we are, like we do that shit, like it's nothing at all. Like he's always constantly making beats and when I'm in the mode, like I'm always making music, so. Nice. Sounds like we can look forward to more installments. Yeah, you know, but it's going to be because like, like we were talking about having fun, we, we're probably going to keep, they're never going to sound the same as each other. So that's going to keep it interesting for us too. Like who knows what we're going to get third time around, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like right. sonically, we got to go somewhere else with it because. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Metatron's Cube symbolically, you've talked briefly in the past about Metatron's Cube symbolically as a key to creation within your process. Can you share any insight into how it's helped to extend a deeper connection in terms of reinventing yourselves and sound and style with this album? Because it is somewhat of a spiritual successor to your last album together. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, for me, I think it's it's never, I, don't, I never, I never worry too much about reinvention because I think as far as anyone who knows my, my music or any of my history, uh, we kind of established that from the outset that we're going to be all over the place. So for me to switch up something, it's, I, I mean, it was, it was difficult when I, when I started doing solo stuff, cause I, I had a little bit of an identity crisis about what I was trying to do, but uh, I realized I just, I don't overthink, I don't need to overthink it. And like, um, but you know, I, I will get ideas as far as like, oh, maybe we should go in a specific sonic direction. Um, now I don't know if I'm answering the question. I, I, I'm, I'm no, nah, I, I feel that though. It's like to add on to that, it's kind of like, there's necessarily, I think what you're saying is that there's never necessarily been a need for, for reinvention in it because being all across the board is kind of already a part of the music. Like we've all, for us to even go and do something different next time would be like that relatively normal in the scope of our discographies. Does that, yeah, answer, it just, does that answer it? It also just depends when people picked up on our music, because I think like for you, uh, people, if they, if they heard your last three releases, they have, they're going to have an association with, with your music uh, about a specific sound. Right. But like going back 10 years ago, they'll yeah. realize that, yeah, you, you've, you've uh you've been in different scenes and different and explored different sounds and that's yeah, the same like for me we used to go back to like some shit that was like uh 2016 15 like that era and there was still like rolling hats and yeah. like i ate a weight here and there and i was still spazzing the way that i am now that shit would be yeah. regular like he yeah. said like it depends on when they pick up picked up on it because you know i got people who are three-year listeners six-year listeners like 10 maybe you know so i don't know like, yeah, like, i think sorry i'd say people are gonna have an association with with because the way you rap is like you're you're like an east coast in the pocket rapper yeah but the, you give clues even on uh parthian shots it's like the for pbs kids you shout out mac dre and it's like 
yep. those scenes don't really have an a necessary association with each other, but that's, we both come from, uh, from the perspective of like appreciating every type of regional rap, yeah. all eras of rap. I like that juxtaposition, juxtaposition too, though, because it's like PBS yeah. Kids is one of the more, uh, drum-wise, one of the more traditional drum beats, but I'm kind of making some Bay Area references on it. And that's yeah. kind of like, you know, tribute to like both coasts and whatnot. But like you said, we all over the place with it. Cause it's like, even if you want to hit them with some like Young God style beats or like shit that was going on with uh, Squad or Pep or anything like that, like certain people who might've just found your music during Metatron's Cube, they might think that shit is new. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't know that. That see, my bad for for us going off on a tangent, but I feel like we might be brainstorming in front of y'all right now. You, know? <laughs> you already know what time it is. had any expectations when i went to listen to parthian shots for the first time but it's it's definitely different when you compare it to metatron's cube sonically and and for me it feels a bit more emotional and soulful and sound would you both agree with that yeah yeah i, I mean personally i think so i you know i think just based on some of the songs we have like we didn't have any songs that sounded like like lava or uh even all that jazz especially to be the first track that we used to introduce the album. I think that kind of set the tone out the gate that, you, you know, it's not going to be exactly what you got the last time, but yeah. it's definitely still within that realm, you know? Yeah. So I agree, I agree with that personally. Yeah. I think we're like, it's like we were fine tuning some things that really worked on Metatron's cube, but also expanding what we could do. Um, because, yeah, thinking thinking about like the the track with Bruiser Wolf, like mm -hmm. that's that's actually one of the ones we did in person with each other. But I mean, obviously Bruiser Wolf wasn't in, in in the studio with us, but we made that from scratch and then sent it off to him, and, and that definitely like um, 
actually credit to him because I think when we had the idea that we wanted to get him on the album, it made Suede uh, rap a, a certain way. He's like, I, he's like, I can't just yeah. do my in the pocket rap. I got to try something a little different. So just, and yeah. I think that's one of the craziest verses that, that you did like stylistically it's, it's very subtle, but what you do is, is, is crazy to me. Yo, yeah, yeah. Shit, we was kind of geeking in real time. Like when, when like, yeah. I might've one take, I might've did that shit in the first take, but yeah, I was yeah, kind of yeah. like, wow. As I was doing it, like, let me uh, pause here and here and like try to try to stumble every once in a while, but catch the pocket again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of like in the, you know, another another kind of tribute to some of my Bay Area influences and shit, because it's like E40. I feel like that's some shit that E40 kind of, even though I wasn't trying to bite him, uh, bait him, obviously, but I think he's really good with that to to the regular ear somebody might think he's off beat but to me i just hear him it's kind of like jazz you know mm -hmm. uh, exactly. he goes past and then he he falls in the pocket at the last minute exactly exactly so yeah i was doing my best at that and then when we actually got it recorded and heard it we were just like damn you know and that was one of my favorite tracks on the album too so even though all of them are but yeah <laughs> yeah i did wonder about how this uh album or the the production on this album may have challenged you suede i mean you you're taught you mentioned um all that jazz there are songs on this album that just strike me as really different not just in your catalogs but like in rap music in general um uh how do you say it? rosicrucian rolls royce am i pronouncing that rolls royce rosicrucian rolls royce it's another one that just struck me as kind of different um yeah. it doesn't sound like uh, Televangel, on your part, there was an intentional effort to make something challenging, but it turned out that way. And so, Swade, I'm just curious, like, how would you say the production on this album challenged you? I mean, shit, I'm not sure. I feel like I had a really good time writing the writing process. Like, that's my favorite part of making the music is like the process. So it's I think that it came to when it com comes to picking beats at this point and uh, being able to have access to one of the best producers that I know and that that we all know is like I pick the beat that makes me want to write as soon as I hear it and I don't think about it. I don't want a beat that I have to chisel out, chisel or try to figure out what to do. Like a lot of those beats, I heard them or I heard the first drafts of those beats, like within the batches, and I knew within the first five seconds I wanted to drop everything and write. And that's what keeps it fun for me too. Like I don't do any more overthinking when it comes to picking beats or uh, or like what do I want prior to going into a project. I like to think that I don't know what I want until I hear it. And when I hear it, it has to make me want to write. And I was able to do that 16 times on this album. And the best part about it, like I said, is that those are just the beginnings of the, of the beat. Like he, he's so musical with it that it, they, the songs have different stages until it gets to the final product of what we both hear, like at the end. So, a little bit of trivia about that's the oldest beat on the on the project. Actually, I think it's like it's got to be like eight years old. That beat, like, I I, I updated it, but like the foundation of the beat was like very old. Hmm. Yeah, that like, was one of my favorites. Instantly, as soon as I heard that, for like the first three seconds, I was like, "Yep, that was yes. it." So. Yeah, originally I had 
I pictured singing on that song like back in the day. And then, but then I was like, oh, let me give this to Suede. There's all these beats I forget about. And I was like, oh, uh, if I go through old stuff, I'm like, oh, this one would be cool. I will say about um, when, you're, when you're talking about the intention of um, going a specific direction, this is just another bit of like kind of funny trivia about the this album is like, we had one idea that we just, it didn't stick, but, but we were like trying to do some uh, oh, oh, oh shit! Maybe we should do, like, might be able to still do that with with Neptune style drums. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they we never. Should, we should still we should still try to do a joint or two like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just that uh, like none of the ones that that I did those kind of drums they really they didn't like end up working as well. But yeah, it's still a cool idea. Yeah, and that was definitely in the early stages of. Like yo, what are we gonna do with this one? We I, I did bring that up. That was so yeah. long ago, I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, we we don't did had so many final drafts and iterations of it since then. It's like yeah. Dope, dope. So Ted of Angel, the way I understand it, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of these beats who recorded for this album switched up after Suede and those featured on this album laid their vocals. Can you give me an example of a song where the inclusion of vocals informed your decision to occupy those spaces with different tones and textures based on vocals being their own instruments? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I always feel like, I always feel like I can make, I always think I can make my best work after the vocals are recorded. And I tell, I tell people, rappers that I'm sending packs to like, Cause I know I never feel that confident in the initial packs I sent, like, because I'm not going to put hundred percent into the initial first beat. Like I think the magic comes in the post-production for me because I get inspired by the, by the, by the vocal performance and the lyrics. And if I think I can do something better, like if I, if I can imagine the, the vocals over something, better than I, I want to like it it makes me feel challenged and it's just like it's it's fun like crafting a song around vocals is way it's like i don't know i don't really know how to explain it. it's like uh it's working backwards almost but i don't know what gives me the idea of like why i think it could be outdone but like first day that track the first song on the album that had a like a totally different beat and the beat was like uh Suede said it reminded him of a um, was like a locks beat. What you said it reminded oh, you. you remember the first beat? Yeah, I do. But see, like that's you're what like, I'm saying. Like, like, I, don't I, remember how it, yeah. I remember it. Yeah, you said something like you're doing your styles P on this or something. Yeah, and I yeah, told you, yeah, in in your in your delivery was sort of like uh, relatively aggressive compared to some of your other deliveries. But I totally switched the mood up and the. The mood totally switched up and you, and when i showed you the beat you were like um you're like the other beat might fit the vocals more but this is a better song which i thought was interesting yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah i feel like especially with the with the shift in the beat it kind of adds to the flow a little bit because i don't know i hear it like just in comparison to the to the other one but when i heard it i think that was also one of those things when i was like uh let's not change too many of them but if you change a beat and i can't remember the old one 
Like if it's so good that I'm not even, I can't even tell you what the other one sounded like, then we're just going to leave it alone, you know? And that happened a couple times. Not like, not too many times. Like it wasn't like there was that many blatant beat changes, but there was nah. maybe what, say like three, four? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I think you'll, you'll get like, like I tr- tried to switching up one of them and you're like, nah, like there is no more. And, but yeah, no, for a lot of it, I think I actually did way more switch outs on uh, Metatron's Cube, like full speed switch ups. But those, uh, I those are the ones that came from like 2019 too. Like Wake yeah. the Wind got a swap, like dope from, from those sessions. Like we had like three mm-hmm. songs on Metatron's Cube that were actually recorded in 2019. So like two years before the initial drop, three, three maybe, yeah. but um, yeah. In the Endless Crate interview I mentioned earlier, Angel, you said that when it comes to collaborations with other artists, you let them take the lead on naming, defining a project. So Sway, Parthian Shots seems to speak to, speaks to the military tactics of the Iranian nomad tribe and how this can be used as a metaphor to describe your rhyme style. So you said, I might say something wild and you might not get hit with it until I leave the room. But I'm wondering if there's space to take this a step further and look at how this symbolism fits into a bigger picture. And I, I think you can take that interpretation in a lot of different ways. Um, but swayed in Mount Doom, you say there's a storm going on outside. No one is safe from Unholy moly. Bruiser Wolf says life is a game of poker. I'm just trying to get the upper hand. And there's a lot more verses I could use as examples, but I'll just stop and ask my question. So aside from the metaphoric combat strategies, when you think about the overall theme of Parthian shots and the stories you're telling on here, does it feel like you're also just generally speaking about the layers of war and the daily battles of us? Many of us are tasked with fighting, including yourself. Yeah, I think uh, upon listening to it multiple times after we dropped it, I noticed that I do actually make reference to war a couple of times, but if anything, it's not like, maybe I think that might just be a result of, like you said, everything, like everything that's just kind of going on around us. It's uh, It just kind of finds its way in there. I don't really think that I was doing that intentionally, but the way that I write is kind of just based on, you know, like that stream of consciousness. So I think you're right. I think that yeah, you know, like I wasn't thinking about it too heavy, but it does make it seem a lot more like like the covers seem a lot more appropriate with the content of the music as opposed to it just me saying slick stuff and you not getting it till later. So, so I guess we kind of doing that to like uh, all, all of our enemies as well. We're kind of just watching our backs and, and, you know, dumping the arrows. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's a great, great uh, perspective on the title. So cool. There's a storm going on outside, no one is safe from Real or imagined, still had to take a break from Vacation, no national lampoon Critics going crazy since my niggas on Mount Doom Walking through Mount Moon, see you in the flash You be paying troll totals with your little easy pass from the shade of a gnome made the grass might knock your head off with your mind on the glass. 
In my mind moving fast at the supersonic speed through a green hill zone Chaotic neutral emeralds, chefing like emerald, records on the menu UFO landing, aliens stranded with heads like cones Patriotic t-shirts at the state fair on the line for the scones People getting overlapped cause they couldn't cut the crap, always ranting from the phone Never got slapped, you can tell by how they talking, but I'll leave that shit alone It's all for the camera Continuing to focus on the theme or the title for a minute, I feel like E and I kind of came at this from different directions, which maybe is what makes us uh, work together well. But um, Swade, one of the things I noticed in listening to the to the project is it, it seems to me at least there are more direct references to Seattle and maybe in general places that you've called home uh, first day tra tracks like first day. I know it's not no fly zone, obviously stand out in that regard yeah. on, on lounge. You refer to yourself as a traveler, wanderer, ponderer on groundwork. You're talking about taking it around the world. Even X, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire and his verse on PBS kids is talking about traveling around the globe with carbon yeah. San Diego in the most X way possible. But you seem to have been thinking a lot about moving. And you end the album with goodbye. All of this has made me think about the title, Parthian shots, parting shots, not just leaving something behind, but like going somewhere else. You know, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Are, are, they, are they connected? Do you feel like they're connected? Uh, shit, I think that's one of those things that must have just been on my mind. It's, mm -hmm. it's also, it's funny though, because I was kind of uh, speaking things into existence because we wrote this prior to me going on like my first real tour. And then groundwork was also me putting it out into the ether that I did all this work. I'm trying to take it around the world. You know, now August, I'm going to Europe, you know? So I think that's in, in a way, you know, we kind of are like as lyricists and as people who are using words, casting spells and, I try to make it a point not to invite too much negativity into my music because I know the power of words. So whether it was intentional or not, I think on my mind, travel just might've been on my mind throughout the process of it. I'm, I'm kinda caught in limbo between two coasts, like as far as like family being in one place, uh, me loving where I live in another place and constantly going back and forth and, and juggling, you know, those different types of upbringings that people have you know what i'm saying so i think travel and comparing com comparing and contrasting all the places i've been and the places that i want to go uh a common theme just throughout a lot of my music mm. yeah for sure dope you mentioned the words comparing and contrasting when you're writing to Ted of Angels beats, do those sonics, do they reveal themselves via patterns and symbols? And if so, is there much of a distinction between the way you write the beats that present themselves, you know, with imagery in colors? Yeah, 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 definitely. I definitely uh, think that when I choose, when me and him get together to work on a project, I see it as a more color a wider range of colors you know I, I think usually when I'm at the helm of everything when it comes to like just me working on my own whether I'm doing most of the beats 
collecting the beats, I kind of stay within the same range of color. You know, like there's definitely some blues there. There's some greens there. You know, like I think that I, I kind of typically stay away from the yellows, you know, but I think that when I get to work with Televangel that there's a lot of those beats that you kind of get that whole entire palette of sound and color. And uh, Rosicrucian Rolls Royce is a great example of that. Like I can't necessarily tell you what colors I saw when it was time to hear that beat and write the beat, but they were definitely there, you know? Yeah, all that jazz is definitely yellow. Word to see. I mean, yo, and the thing is, you might want to tell you want to tell them about the beat. Of that beat? Yeah, just like because that beat went through certain changes, but the constant, like, hold on, there's a piece of trivia. Yeah. Um, so I, I played a lot of keys on the album, um, but that one specifically, my dad played uh, everything. Mm -hmm. I, I basically I took a I took a sample and I I chopped the hell the hell out of it and then I sent it to him and I was like, can you replay this and then also just do some improv over it, and I pretty much kept the entirety of the improv and didn't edit anything. Um, you can hear some of the sort of like imperfections in it, but I definitely wanted to keep yeah, those in. She was perfect. I wanted it to keep it like super that. loose. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Dope. So that, that's uh, that's uh, what you said, Todd on the keys like a locksmith. That's my dad. Ah. Uh, <laughs> great. Yeah. Oh, to Todd. Earlier this month, Bandcamp did a feature on you, Suede, and the piece ends with you saying, when it comes time for me to create through failures and losses, I've learned exactly what I need. Maybe you answered this already, but I wanted to ask, what did you need to create Parthian Shots? What did you feel like this project required from you? And Televangel, I'll pose the same question to you. Oh, man, I definitely wanted to make sure I think just in parking your shots or not, like I'm just always trying to get a little bit better than like the day before. But I think that when it came to this project, I knew the type of light that the first one had. So I wanted to make sure, like always, I don't really think it's specific to this project. I just wanted to make sure my lyricism was undeniable and that I did the best that I, I, I leaned on all my strengths and did the best that I could do and just pulled from my arsenal of flows and went all over the place with it. And I think that that was just being able to trust that he was going to do the same with the production. I think I just try to give it 200%, especially because I'm used to kind of having to wear a lot of hats when it comes to making projects. I didn't have to really focus too much on the mixing or uh, shout outs to MJC, he handled the mastering. I just got to rap and try to be, get 200% into the rap. So. That was my, that's what I needed to do in order to participate in this project. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you were definitely texting me before you came down here recording. We're just like, you're like, yo, wait till you hear these lyrics. Like, yeah, I was hyped. You felt like you had to outdo yourself, um, which I, you know, I think you succeeded for sure. Um, and, I, and I came to it the same way. I was like, Cause like I said earlier, I, I felt like Metatron's cube was a little bit of like, a, uh, just, it was like, it was a trial. We weren't sure how, we knew it was good. We knew it was really dope. We were confident in it, but we didn't, you know, 
like we were kind of just establishing our, our like working relationship and then our regular like friendship but then this round two like it was like okay we have this foundation that worked i think it was just like we can you can jump off of that and so anything i do like i'm just i'm just trying to challenge myself to out, out be able to outdo myself because i you know i think about a lot of people's perspective is like they're they love the first thing an artist does like the first couple projects and then there's an idea that they sort of like devolve and i, yeah. I, mean, I don't i don't necessarily buy into that but i'm always, I, I keep that in the back of my head sometimes because i always want to feel like i'm actually improving hmm. and i i feel like i do like I'm, I'm still trying to learn new techniques new production techniques try to switch my sound up all the time and whenever i get a new piece of gear or software it, it changes my process and so it's like there's always something that um that gives me new inspiration that uh will like change the outcome of the song like like for this album i, I was using different software and it totally changed my production techniques and and sonically like i, I do feel like there's continue there's continuity between Metatron's Cube and Parthian Shots, but like I was definitely trying to expand the sound. Um, yeah, gotcha. you know, like create a create a like a whole world with 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 the album. Mm. Yeah, some shits are always, and I think that's also the difference between when we work on a project and I do something else is that like within that post production that he's really good at. We get all of these bridges sometimes. Sometimes we get these like exquisite outros, the occasional intro. So it gets, it, it kind of trans, it's like, it's, it's just very musical. You know what I'm saying? It It's all over the place. Like if you take my vocals off of some of them, it, it even might transcend genre, like in certain cases, you know, like I like to think of, of him in his own, like in a way as a band, you know, and I think we try to even mix the vocals. I try to mix the vocals or like we try to like situate the vocals in a level where it kind of sounds like that too, you know, at least yeah. in, in my opinion. So I yeah. took it to heart. I took it to heart when you said uh, one man rock band on here on, on Metatron's Cube. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Because we recorded that shit. I was noticing it was different. It was like, here's the sample. For me, you know, I might chop up a sample, lay out some drums. Then he like runs to the keys and starts playing the bass line out like like the shit is easy, you know, like you listen to like the layers of the shit. It's extremely it's like multi instrumentalist level, you know, in my opinion. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my one of my things is like I like I like to. Um, I like to make it challenging for the listener. Um, for them to be able to distinguish whether something's like a sample or it's played. And if they mm. can't figure it out, and then I feel like I succeeded. Yo, I get that question all the time too, from like people I know that make beats and shit. Like, you know, like, and I'll be, I'll just be like, you know, sometimes maybe, sometimes not like, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm able to see some of these beats get made. So yeah, I, I know what's up, but yeah, mm. I, that's a question I get a lot. Yeah. We were asking Suede earlier, like, what is it essentially, or how, what colors, what vibes come out of the music, and how does that influence uh, you lyrically? 
but I kind of wonder about the opposite, like Televangel for you. Are there times when the lyrics will influence how you might change things or sounds that you add into a track? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard because I feel like a lot of that stuff is just like subconscious. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, like I could love a specific beat and try to put Sway's vocals on it and it just doesn't sound right to me. So even if, 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 even if in my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to be really dope. But then it just, for whatever reason, doesn't end up working. There's just like, there's a sort of like, know it when you hear it sort of interplay between the music and the vocals that I just like, it's obviously subjective and it's just my opinion, but I feel like I know it when I hear it, when it's more, it's like, oh, this music just works perfectly well with his vocals. Mm -hmm. you know, I second that too, because there's many times, like, I think groundwork was one of those, like, right? Oh, yeah. Groundwork. So we, we, we did switch that out. Yeah. Yeah. I came back to, to his house, like when I played a Portland show and whatnot, and I came back and heard the new version of groundwork. And that was one of those things, like he said, it's like one of those, you know, when you hear it. And I was like, yo, what the, you know, like I, I was hyped when I heard it, but that, that definitely happens. There's very rare occasions, like a point, like, like a 5% time out of 100 where i'd be like yo go back to the old one but for the most yeah. part i definitely trust them to do that because way more times than not i'll hear that new version and it's like a brand new song to me and i get excited all over again so oh, we did that on three eyed raven too i just yeah that one too when i heard that one i was i was definitely hype about it to the point that i forgot what the old beat sounds like so <laughs> the 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 original beat's been in like multiple people's packs now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That Angel, you were talking about AJ's flow on Holy Moly earlier and how he stepped up to the plate and really challenged and pushed himself. Swage, you've talked about having different names for different flows, which are often references to different songs. Did you yeah. revisit any techniques from the last album on this canvas? And if so, were you able to reveal any of the names and what references some of those flows pay tribute to? Yeah, you know, the blink flow is definitely there. The, it, it pops up. I think that uh, I hit the point now that I kind of don't really, sometimes I used to go into the writing process knowing that I was going to use certain flows. But um, I'm going to call, I don't know, I, I got to name some of these flows. There's definitely some new, one, there's some new flows, but the blink flow is definitely prevalent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to you on that because some of them do deserve names. Yo, the Holy Moly one does deserve a uh, name. Yeah. Like, no, I that's the Holy that. Moly yeah. flow now, definitely. It's probably going to be a minute before the Holy Moly flow. Like, It's, it's going to probably pop up on our third project because him being a Bay Area native, right. I think it's only right that he could t make the type of beat that calls for that type of flow, you know? Mm. Right. Also, I just want to say just before i forget um because originally you were like um i don't think i'm gonna originally you didn't choose no flight zone because you're like the beats were t the, the drums were too stuttery but then yo I, I like i like that i think i like that beat as soon as you said oh yo you're right you're right i didn't choose liked, it in that first pack. you liked it you're like i don't know if i can do it though just because the drums are weird yeah no but uh, I, then, well, I think you might have been working on that one for for a different project. I think at the time, I think you wanted to do 
an album uh, and you had a and you sent it for, to me for that initially and then i was like i need this shit yeah 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 okay and then and then you recorded that one take the first time word we yeah. started with that yeah yep yeah i love that beat and it was it, it wasn't a hard decision to put it towards the end of the album because i knew that the album was that strong that strong tracks can't you can't just certain people just try to take all their best tracks and put it at the front of the album and be like oh you know but i knew that that should have to be close I, I still had to close that one on a strong note with that one being one of my yeah. favorite tracks so were there any other tracks that almost didn't make the album until you heard the new version shit. i mean shit yeah i was trying to you know i'm always kind of trying to like cut tracks not really this one but i was at first i was a little overwhelmed by it being 16 tracks and at first oh. i i thought that might have been a little bit much but he when we got the final mixes and i heard all of them i was just like all right i guess we just got a 16 track album then no yeah you were, you were pretty adamant that it couldn't be 16 and i was like well yeah it's 16 but it's the length is actually slightly shorter than metatron's cube so we, yeah yeah that's really what matters like how long does someone give me listen to a project they're not necessarily going to be focused on how many tracks it is they're gonna be like whoa this is going on for two hours this is way too long i don't have the patience for this but yeah, if it's no, like you, you were definitely right project, about that you were right about that 100 percent. i was at first i was just thinking about like my kind of attention span that i have but you know, I, I trusted you on that. And when I heard all the final tracks, they were all so good. I couldn't, there wasn't a single one. That's like another rule. I don't like, I don't, when it comes to the final project, you can't just have to love every single song. Liking a track isn't enough, especially when it comes to you having to listen to your own music an infinite amount of times. You got to really make sure you love those tracks. So mm -hmm. when we started getting those final folders of mixes together and I heard all 16, I just hit him with that text was like, yep, 16 it is, you know, uh, no, no arguments here, you know, so, yeah. We've talked about some of the folks who join you on Parthian Shots, folks who have standout verses, but, but really everybody on, on this album who joined you has standout verses. They so all much. understood the, yes, they all understood the assignment. So I'm wondering if there are specific reasons you chose these rappers to join you and Televangel, did you have any input around this? Yo, go for it. Yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely talked about it. Um, originally, they're going to be, we had a couple more that didn't end up working out, but hmm. it, it, at first it seemed like it was going to be kind of feature heavy, but I think it was just because it was also like the reception was cool on Metatron's Q. We're like, okay, I think people know that we, we got a good product to offer and like people will be stoked to hop on this project and like there were just like new creative uh partnerships and friendships bubbling up around like the pacific northwest like me with milk and old grape god and uh so some of those happened just because like of geography like you know because milk and grape god are here in portland um and it was also like well we got swayed on milk's project so it's like tit for tat thing um but yeah like milk and grape god recorded rich, their rich was there too yeah I, yeah we got to shout out rich too because rich was visiting from chicago he literally came over for 30 minutes and recorded that wrote and recorded that and i and i feel like that's like a like the catchiest hook that yeah 
that, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. He Didn't he write up. that in 10 minutes? Shit. Maybe even less than yeah. that. Maybe. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. I mean, luckily he just, like, we had that beat on, like, we had it playing when he came in the studio and, and immediately he was, like, into it. So I, I'm lucky. We're just lucky that it, like, the music was able to, to like, inspire him enough to. Yeah, it made him exactly. It's like, it's about picking beats, makes you want to write on the spot. I think yeah. I made him want to write on the spot. And he kind of just came through, uh, laid it down, laid out, a couple, laid out a couple layers, and then had to go. Mm. Yeah, and um, like you said earlier, like you had the idea, you definitely wanted to get Henri as like some sort of like bridge between maybe like old Seattle. Yeah. I don't mean that obviously in any sort of disparaging way, but you know, Henri's been around for 20 years, I think maybe longer he's he's been he's been making music since the 90s and uh i still feel like you're viewed as a newer artist even though you've been doing it for you know 10 years 10 plus years but um i think that was that was kind of your idea there right and then yeah uh, i definitely wanted to do a joint with Henri, also because it was like that's also I, I was hyped to know when i first was made aware of fake four through like you and like, you know, you, Blue Sky, Black Death, even though like I kind of knew Chesky already, um, that when the first time I seen a Dark Time video and it was shot in Seattle, I was like, oh shit, there's somebody who's from Seattle. And then I went and did the research and I'm like, all right, Grayskull. Like I've seen Grayskull live and all of that. And then, you know, over time, like, just cause I fuck with Henri's music, like he's definitely showing me some love. I wanted to make it a point that the next time around, if it was up to me, I would have had him on the first one. You know, I just didn't know, I didn't really know him like that yet. But like since then, like I've definitely seen him around town and all types of stuff. So I was like, you know, I'm a holla at you when it's time. And this just happened to be the time for that. I think also we're like, I don't know if we were super intentional about it, but there's definitely, I feel like there's a few instances where we're like sort of bridging some eras or bridging some scenes like, like that one and like getting Nacho on, on the track when when he's yeah. like a seattle legend and you're like the up-and-coming seattle legend yeah so. no nah, definitely that was i think i was making reference to it earlier but there's kind of that blue sky black death family tree that's kind of in the in the northwest too like you know like even on on milk's album you got de niro that's like a that's like another dude that's kind of comes from you know where i would consider our collective through through that family tree sound and whatnot so I think that even just for, not even just for Seattle, for me and Nacho to work, that also bridges two of your errors together too. You know, same with um Esquire's involvement with our last two projects. It's like him and Nacho got collaborations from that other era as well. So we, I, I think that I'm still very hype on those people, even from that period of time. And was just really happy to have them on there, you know? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say we're nostalgic for that era, but we both like, I, yeah, like I, I we had a definitely like my second one was that era. The this I call it the uh, the Mishka Bloglin era or something. I don't know. Pretty I mean, that's not, it's not entirely that, but that there was a lot of people in that scene that uh, that that blog like definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. And I know you came out of, like you were physically in that store in New York, I think, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I was definitely around that scene a lot and uh, tried my hand at trying to write for their blog and all that, even though that, that didn't really work out. You can't, I don't personally think you could be a musician and a journalist, you know, it doesn't, you got to have those boundaries defined, you know, like I, I did it for a quick second. People get mad when you don't post them and all types of shit, you know, so I just very early on, I was like, nah, but I was still trying to go to the Mishka store for events and going to anything that was kind of at those spots in Brooklyn, uh, the flat 285 Kent. Uh, a lot of places that kind of surrounded that Williamsburg hipster kind of, it wasn't just rap bands that'd be out there. You know, you see all types of whole blog era, blog era, but not like not right to Doughboys blog era, like more, more of that like PBR kind of, kind of shit, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I have to, I have to run in a few minutes. So I guess this will be my Parthian shot. This will be my parting shot. Um, there you go. We're talking about guests, and I have to say, I really feel like you and, and Huey, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire, sort of bring out the best in each other. And I, what I want to know is when we're going to get a Huey, AJ Suede, Televangel album. It's, go it's going to happen. I'm def it's definitely going to happen. I was, uh, when I was with him, we were, we were like talking about it. Cause I just think it's, it's definitely people have made it known. They have, sh they've shared that sentiment with y'all that like, you know, we, we just two for two with our two collaborations that we have. And it's like, I've known him for a pretty long time and was just cool with him as a friend before it was even, let me get a verse. You know what I'm saying? So I think that unintentionally is kind of like, it's just like, it sounds like two homies rapping, just trying to bar out every time we get together. And he brought up himself, us trying to do something, but I think it's clear that it got to be produced by Televangel because it's yes, just yes. two for two out the park. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure all three of us are in agreement. So after I got a couple other things that I got to roll out, but once we have the time that all three of us are open to do that, we're going to make that shit happen for real. Yeah, make, making I'm my ready. dream come true. I'm ready for sure. On too. <laughs> yo, I've been listening to him since, like he said, going back to that generation Lost in Translation was a was a great one for me, you know, like I was fresh out of high school. That was my shit, you know? Classic. So to be able to call that brother a friend, collaborator, that's like younger, younger me. It just just a fan in me is just hype, you know? So sure. Uh, hey guys. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm just gonna just one more little trivia thing, which is funny because uh um the only other major label placement for a rap release was uh, of the BSBD beat for Mr. M Motherfucking X when he was on Universal. Mm -hmm. So shout out to him for that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we we got stiff. Like, we only got half our money, but that's, that's whatever. Which one did y'all did? Like, one of there's a track on there called like the Message One and Two. Y'all did one of those, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah. What's going on if you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast? Why not become a patron of Fly Fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more.
Televangel, I think you mentioned this earlier, but you've credited Metatron's Q for getting you back into working on hip hop. I I wondered how this project informed or influenced the ones you did after it, if at all. Yeah, for sure. I think I wasn't really like mentally, I I sort of checked out a little bit with uh, just, I guess, hip hop in general for a little bit. Um, Sometimes it just happens, you know, like I, I go through phases and then when we did Metatron's Cube, I, I was just sort of noticing uh, this like new underground rap ecosystem that was going on that sort of reminded me of like 10 years ago. But, you know, it took a different form sonically. It's very like back to lyric focused and, um, you know, it's 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 almost like a reaction to people being a little sick of like 808s and a lot of crap, even if we still like that stuff, but there was, I think it was just a necessary um, sort of pendulum swing back to like just bar focused and like dusty production. And um, I sort of think of it like, like I, I feel like there's, I don't know how to describe this scene, but I, I guess I noticed like back was being at sort of the center of it and then it's like these other like networks based on like back was artists and like uh then like uh rock marcy and alchemist what they're doing and, and all that sort of interconnectivity um and i and i so that, that like metatron's cube sound and what i what i felt like sort of work there i definitely like not ran with but definitely informed the way i was gonna produce for someone like milk um because he's also another rap like a rapper's rapper you know like he's a he's a bar guy um and he i mean well and what i said but i said before is like i'm not really dictating how a record's gonna sound if i'm collaborating with someone it's like I'm meeting them halfway. Like I definitely want to put my stamp on it, but I also want it to make sense for who they are as, as an artist. Mm-hmm. And like, um, so for AJ, I feel like there's definitely a bit more room to like get weird, you know, cause um, he's got strange and obscure references. And uh, even though he's like in, in, in the pocket rapper, but he's got a lot of weird, weird references um but for someone like milk he's kind of just like a spitter or whatever for lack of a better term i think i so think I super, super relatable to a lot of people too in a way you know what i'm saying yeah. like he has a lot of really uh good references to like pop culture and sports in my yeah. opinion among other yeah. things but i think he does that shit pretty well mm. yeah Definitely. that's I think the uh, when when you drop the immaculate sports reference, like uh, whatever reason people love that, I don't even get them because I don't I don't watch much sports at all. But but, but yeah. I always see other people reacting to the sports references. Like I'm okay, I guess that's a good bar. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, people do go crazy for that. Yeah. 
I don't, so I, I don't know. Hopefully I answered your question there. I, you I, did. I, you did. Yeah. Thank you. I wanted to talk about this pursuit of including occult philosophy in your rhymes as a vehicle for people to seek out esoteric knowledge. What's that journey been like researching for these songs? And to what extent do you see occults as narrative patterns that give significance to your artistry and communicating with what's going on today? Uh, I feel like overall, I kind of stopped. I kind of fell off of that. Like as far as like researching or reading things or listening to audio books, there was a time that I was pretty heavy into it. And like, you know, some of my homies, like some our, our mutual friend, Christ Cooper, and like some of our homies in our crew in Seattle at the time and whatnot, that was a really big theme within the music and whatnot. And I feel like just uh, having some of that knowledge and having some of those like Gnostic school of thoughts and occult, just knowledge and awareness of them in conjunction with other school of thoughts and whatnot uh, have always just been a, a fun thing for me to rap about just because I love history and I love things of that nature. So even me saying something like Rosicrucian, Rose Royce, right. that might have stemmed from some shit that me and Cooper was probably talking about at a yeah. time years ago. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just like around that time, I, it, it was not knowledge has always been cool to cool to me. Knowledge is power. You know what I'm saying? So when I was able to get around some people who was uh, who were like thorough dudes, but still like to read obscure shit and was about all of that, you know, a lot of us clicked. And I think over time, there's still uh, remnants of some of those themes in the music because it comes naturally. You've been vocal about people misinterpreting a lot of these lyrics on this project. How yeah. have you felt generally about the response to some of these songs and the subject matter on this project? Uh, well, I mean, overall, like the response has been great. Like, I think we just, it's just very much known. We make some really great music i think that it takes a while every once in a while for people to catch some of the bars that i'm saying but it's one of those things that when they do it it hits them like a ton of bricks right right but when i was pretty vocal about people misinterpreting it was more so just getting them wrong and going on genius with them like me like i got on i don't ever get on genius but the one time i got on genius for like the first time in like two three years I was reading through some of them like, yo, what the hell are y'all talking about? So, but I also like to maintain that if somebody gets bars wrong and it's still like, they're still able to find some type of meaning from that. I just kind of okay. keep that mind state that it's like shit is left up to your interpretation. If that's how you heard it and it still worked for you, I'm fine with that. But it just looked really crazy reading some lyrics that were hella wrong. It just makes me wonder if people just certain people understand me you know but it's not it's not something that happens too often it's just that's just genius i can't yeah. always interpret the way other people hear what i'm doing mm. but yeah hopefully, still, hopefully that answers that aren't there still Absolutely. bars that, that i don't think i get yet on parthen shots but I, I, was, I think i was telling you and yeah. i think that's what led to the album title too is like i think yeah. before we even came up with that all right. I know we were like sharing Wikipedia stuff with each other. Yeah. But, you had a really like, good one. And then through playing that, like, you know how you get on Wikipedia and you jump like from one page to 20 pages, we ended up in that realm of that title. But yeah, my bad, as you were saying. No, just because it was like certain bars on Metatron's Cube, which I don't, I don't know if I'll remember, but like 
where I just didn't get them. And then suddenly I was like, oh, okay. Like they hit me. And that's yeah. where I was like, I was like, because I think your style is so subtle. It's, it's like, you're not putting certain emphasis on, on a specific bar. So it's like, yeah, sometimes you don't notice. And then you're like, okay, let's, let's really actually listen. To what, like, what is, what is, what's he mean right here? And then it's like, oh shit, that's actually hella clever. I feel like that's just going to hit all at once. You know, like we still not even really a month in, but uh, yeah. it, it makes me think of, and like one of the like ground, one of the foundations of that kind of style was like when I first found Jay Electronica somewhat back in the day. And he had this bar in exhibit A called on uh, when he was like, I swam down Shit's Creek and came up clean with a new lease on life like Andy Dufresne. And mm. I was saying that bar without even knowing what that meant. Mm. Right. And then when I was in community college, they made us watch the Shawshank Redemption. And like it was part of like the assigned. I had to like write a book report on it and all of that. Mm. And it got to the end when he's like swimming down Shit's Creek and it's raining. I'm like, yo, you know what I'm saying? So, and I kind of lost it because that might have been two, three years later. So I, I, I like, I kind of like to do that. To yeah. People, you know, I think it's going to be varying times between before they find the bar, but it's cool to see when people, they catch it and they quote it back to me because it's like, all right, you, you peep that reference. That's, you know, I'll fuck with you. So, mm. yeah. I don't know if you said this directly, but I'm wondering, because if we're talking about genius, so there's the, the lyrics themselves, right? So people put lyrics on there. Um, but there's also this this section that offers interpretation. And sometimes I'm yeah. reading these sections and I'm like, what are, what are people what are these people talking about? So I, I, I wondered if that bothered you, too, because sometimes I think people take it in a completely different direction. And I know that music can be a sort of loose with interpretation and, you know, because it's, it's art and, you know, people will hear it in different ways, but I'm wondering if that bothers you too. Nah, I mean, so I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that, but it kind of reminds me of like, when you have a favorite TV show or mythos or you're into some type of lore, people will hit you with like, like the, the fan interpretations. Like you, you watch a movie, you don't understand. Like, uh, I watched that one movie, The Menu. There's a couple mm. movies I did this. I watched another movie called The Platform. And, like, the mm. whole time you have those, even Severance is, like, what's going on? I want to see some of these interpretations. So I kind of understand that they're just interpretations, and I, I, mm. I let them do that. Okay. You're somebody who studied film in community college, and I'm wondering how much that lent itself to you editing and directing your own videos. Uh, it definitely did. It's it's crazy because it was like that was probably my favorite class and I failed it just because like my head wasn't in, in the shit. And like I had a paper that I wrote, but I missed the deadline. And, you know, like that shit was worth like a certain percentage of my grade and I still failed it. But I think that class, that final semester before I stopped going to school was hella instrumental because it was nothing that had to do anything with uh, a major. Like I took shit that was gonna help me with this. Like I was taking like marketing. Um, I was taking like maybe like economics uh, and film. I was, I was, I got to the point that I was being hella part-time in school. I was barely going, but I was trying to use shit that I could utilize to help me get the music out there. And there was tons of shit I actually learned in film about how movies do certain things with hardware. And at the same time, one of my homies is like one of my best friends from like, that period of time is a very successful uh, video director now. And he directed all of my early shit. 
because he used to edit snowboarding videos. So I took kind of the experience of uh, that film class as far as learning certain things that they do on movie sets with watching a lot of my old videos get edited and just trialed and error. Like I'm like 40 of my own videos in, like all of them aren't even up to the point that, that I'm at now where I can make an edit like the one we just dropped and be proud of it because it looks somewhat in my eyes like it looked like somebody was hired like professional was hired to edit that video you know that what does. i'm saying but that's that just does. me yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying but yeah so it's a great video man pbs kids talk about the making of that video mm. oh shit i mean so one of my homies from seattle moved to brooklyn a while ago and he used to help me with my videos because we worked at a pizza shop together and I learned that he was in the cameras and whatnot. So a lot of the times on days that we worked together, we would link up and go shoot videos around the city. And that's kind of how I started formulating my videos. But long story short, he moved to Brooklyn. So when I was on the way to New York last week, a couple, maybe two weeks ago, I was in the airport about to board and extras calls me to say, what's up, you know, just to not even on some musical shit. And I was like, yo, about a board of plane in New York. Like they literally calling my group right now, but I'm gonna holler at you when I get in the city. And he was like, yeah, let's shoot that video. And I was like, all right, word, I'm gonna do all my family stuff and then I'm gonna put it together. So I, I called my homie that moved to Brooklyn. We linked up, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to link up with him until later. Cause you know, he his, he got a daughter and he had to make sure all of that was covered. So he was like, yeah, I'm gonna link up with you at this time. So prior to that, I linked up with my homie and my cousin and we just kind of moved around shooting the video and smoking, just kind of chilling until it was time to link up with X. And then we just got some drinks, chill, shot the video. And um, that was that, you know, but definitely been involved with a couple of his videos in the past. My homie that I learned kind of how to edit from shot two different videos for him, shot a video called Gold Mouth Piranha and another one called Sweet Chick produced by Alchemist about mm. a couple years ago. You know, right. so that's kind of how we got tight over time. So I've shot, I've been in the presence of X many times when it came to shooting videos. So it was nothing, you know. This shit right here is a masterclass. Over 50,000 hours accumulated. Science, but Houdini ain't a scientist. PBS kids had to read between the lines. Gucci ghost monogram, hologram projection. Different kind of Clinton with the mothership connection. Magic misdirection, tragic trist majestic. North Pole, South Pole, magnets in the message. Another manic Monday, satanic panic Sunday. Toys R Us is bankrupt, the toddlers tote the tablets. Scholarships forgiven, they rather fund religion. Public school pipelines and politics in prisons. Private school arrogance is one I surely witnessed. Not the park walk over picnic. You got Anthony Fantano on your channel, no problem. Busy world, the rich, scary virgin, marry her job. Think I came to joke around, no street bob. Rest in peace to Mac Drake, cause it's this to the lawn. First niggas went to Paris, then this niggas in Prague. Seen and heard everywhere, niggas is gods. Signature squad, full of literature gods. Shall remain faceless, jacking her guard. New Jersey driving like I'm jacking your car. Grazing the bar, thank my mom for raising the stars. Played the car, rap like Jimmy, played the guitar. 
get the buzz, then they reach for the stars. Sway. Yeah, the cinematography on PBS Kids is amazing. I love it so much. Yo, I appreciate it. It means a lot yeah. to me. It's like, you know, wearing a couple different hats. It's like you slowly trying to get better at all of them at the same time. So once you kind of hit that point where I could get a compliment from somebody like you, it means a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How important is it for either of you to see a visual representation of your music? Both of you. I mean, it's, I always feel like it's a luxury just because I wish, I w- always wish I had these, these budgets to make something that I can truly like imagine. I mean, I, this, I mean, having Swade is dope because he's able to like put these together himself, but just in general, um, it's hard because they don't necessarily like, you don't make your money back on videos like yeah yeah yeah. it's it's a lot of work and and you know for something only get like you know a couple thousand views when you put in like hours and hours into making something that that's the thing that i get like i always got to think like for my own music like like because i was editing some of my own visuals for like my electronic and ambient stuff and it's just like man they're not professional at all but like just even putting in that time to do that um but like the few videos i've had where you know we've paid people and they're it's it's cool because it's like another collaboration uh an an artistic collaboration not just with like a rapper or singer but the the video director and videographer they are going off what they uh perceive in the music and it's just cool mm-hmm. to see what they come up with based off what you give them sonically and they come up with this visual and um you just got to hope that it's like represents kind of what you're trying to go for but yeah yeah That's it's better than your own shit exactly <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah videos are starting to get less and less appreciated they're not as appreciated as they were a couple years ago you know mm-hmm. so to constantly be you you kind of gotta love to go through that process and that labor to even do it like for me it's it's a lot but there's like it's not too much to keep our shit going and to keep i just see it as more so of the commercials these days because people more so in the clips and there's the whole tiktok and reels culture that they're not necessarily trying to go for the full music video so mm. it is becoming more and more a labor of love but and there's certain times where I'm like, shit, I don't know if I want to do all of these, but for this project, I know for a fact we're gonna do, we're gonna do like six, because nice. I like, I just, I see them shits at like from from the inception of the song, they kind of, they give me a mood, and so you know, that's that. But after that, I don't know how many, how many times I'm gonna do that for a project, you know? Yeah, it's not, yeah. not, it's not really that great of a, like I'm definitely coming out of my pocket here and there at least, you know, mm. to make it happen, but. That's just the cost of doing business. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I really appreciate them because I grew up with music videos. So Likewise. I mean, I'm almost forty. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I really appreciate them. But I think you're right. I think they're not as important as they once were. People don't want to jump. From, they don't want to jump from Instagram to YouTube. Right. Yeah, it's that right. simple. They don't even really want to click the link. It's like, oh shit, this uh, 
and this ain't for me specifically. I'm just talking about all across the board with some of our peers. It's like you notice that shift of it's like you drop the YouTube video straight to the Twitter. Now, so you kind of got to hit them with that 30 second thing. Yep. Then the clip box podcast be doing the same shit. Podcast be clipping, there, you know, so it's all the same. That Evangel is a producer that approaches Sonics like almost cinematography itself. I'm curious as to if you ever watch films while you produce. No, I don't, but that is a good idea. I've, I've thought about um, one of my ideas was making an unofficial soundtrack to a movie that I really like. Um, so that's like the closest thing I can think of as far as like um, visuals inspiring the music uh, rather than the other way around. But um, I'll just spill it because I'm, I'm never going to do this because it's too much labor. But um, yeah, I, w I really wanted to score No Country for Old Men because it doesn't really have much in the way of music. It just has mm -hmm. some. I love that movie so much, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. And, but that's part of what's so amazing about it is that the, there's no music. So I was always mm. conflicted on the idea. Like, I think it's a cool idea, but it's not going to be as cool because, like, it's a, so amazing. Like, the reason why it's such a tense movie is because there's a lack of music telling you how to feel. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. a stillness. There's a stillness. I love mm -hmm. the fact, by the way, the suede likens himself to Wes Anderson and Wes Craven on this. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wes Anderson is crazy because obviously, like, there's a big Wes Anderson bandwagon, but I appreciate the fact that Wes Anderson kind of handles every aspect of his production, mm. you know, and I, that's one thing that I admire about him. So outside of, like, the collaborative work that we do, like, when it, there's, there's projects I've done where it's, like, I've done the beats, I've done the writing, the mixing, the mastering, and I'm doing all the videos. That's that's the way I liken it to somebody like that who's kind of, you know, handling yeah. every aspect of the project. Scamming doesn't mean you grind hard Can't knock it, time's hard Do your thing, shine hard This light is undimmable This game is unwinnable My ancestors do the ghost writing My whole team invisible Sometimes I'm mentally too physical Vocally too irritable Capable of being difficult Not all the time Capable of making many rhymes From the many things that's on my mind Anytime I gotta leave the party gets portal time Couldn't fathom what your mortal mind Anybody you hang around Gonna be you in five years time So you gotta spend the time wise people sitting on the sidelines always worry about the headlines everybody better say their peace every record i said mine old plug was trailer trash like federline but the trailer was double wide smoking on those sour grapes and lemon lime free dizzy doing fat time oh Nietzsche for the head of mom better rewatch dogma if you're talking to the metatron every single day i live in my kids my last because all i
I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.